This is Emily Heidoff. This week, I interview Mike. I thought it would be fun if he was on the other side of the microphone. We chat about all kinds of great things, like what he misses about the city, why family's important, small towns, photography, and so much more. If you enjoy our conversation, please be sure to subscribe so you do not miss the next episode. Also, if you could, give Rule is Cool a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps others like you find this podcast. This time, we are turning the tables around a little bit. Um, I am sitting here with Emily Heidoff. Say hi, Emily. Hello. And Emily is going to interview me. So we're going to spend the next little bit, and you're going to get to learn more about me. Yeah, I thought um, I thought it would be fun for Mike to be on the other side of the microphone. He always is looking for people to um, interview. And I said, you know what, Mike, somebody should interview you. And he goes, well, who's going to do that? Well, it fell on me. So here we are. So, Mike, welcome to your own podcast. Well, thank you, Emily. <laughs> so I want to start, I mean, your whole podcast is real is cool. And I know you grew up, and your listeners know you grew up in a small town, how did you get from a small town to a big town, back to a small town? Take us on your life journey. My life journey. Whew. Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a wild <laughs> ride. Um, after high school, I got out of the small town as fast as I could to the raging metropolis of Norfolk, Nebraska. In my defense, that town has stoplights, so it was a city. But, yep. Um <laughs> I was uh, on the management team at a restaurant, and uh, I got the opportunity to take a promotion and move to Omaha. So I did that. Uh, Spent a few more years um, in the restaurant industry and decided that I had enough of that, and I went to work for a call center. Um, It was an inbound call center. We weren't the ones that called you and you hung up on us. Thank you. Um, you (laughs) You voluntarily called us. And actually, my first gig there, I just wanted a paycheck. I went and sat through the training class, and I had no intention of ever taking phone calls. Spent a few weeks taking phone calls and started moving up the ladder. And fast forward a few years, got the opportunity to uh, transfer to Virginia. I had two hours to decide if I was going to take the job in Virginia or the same job in Omaha. So I did what every 20-year-old does, and I called my mom. (laughs) I'm like, Mom, what do I do? And she's like, well, I've always got a spare bedroom. Go just do it. So I moved across the country. Uh, lived in a hotel for like six months. It was crazy. I didn't have time to go find an apartment. I was working so much. The day after I signed my lease on my apartment in Virginia, uh, our client called up and said, we don't want um, the phone technology that you have in that call center. We want to work with the phone technology you have in a different one of your call centers. And that happened to be in San Antonio. And they already had my position filled in San Antonio, so my choice was to move either back to Omaha or down to North Carolina. So I went to North Carolina, spent a couple years down there in uh, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. It's just outside of Raleigh-Durham. Raleigh-Durham is a great town. If you've never been, go check it out. Uh, Met my husband there. We were arch nemeses. Is that the right word, nemesis? It must be. I don't know. Um, we, we did not get along very well at work. And then one day we went out for drinks, and and now we've been married for 10 years. Um, I was getting kind of tired of my call, the call center in um, shortly after Brian and I started dating. I was getting tired of where I was in Rocky Mount. 
Um, I'd been with that company for a minute, and um, I felt like I had outgrown it. And I started looking for jobs back up in Virginia. Uh, Brian had gotten a call from a friend in Houston that said, Hey, I've got a really great job for you if you want to move down here. Mind you, Brian and I had been dating for a month. And Brian says to me, I'm going to be moving to Texas soon. And uh, I was wondering if you wanted to go. And I think it was he wasn't really serious, maybe. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, if I made a job, I'll move. Well, actually, I called my mom. And I'm like, mom, what do I do? <laughs> and she's like, I've always got a spare bedroom. Uh, so anyway, so Brian, Brian's friend said, we have an overnight position that needs to be filled, too. We'll make sure Mike gets that. So we moved down to Houston. We lived there for, gosh, 12 years, I think. And we came up here to look at a house uh, that we were going to use as our quote-unquote vacation home. It was just going to be where we stayed when we came up to visit mom and dad and maybe rent, like do an Airbnb thing if hunters wanted a place to stay or seasonal farm help or whatever. Uh, Somewhere on the drive back to Houston, Brian's like, hey, I can work from anywhere. And so we decided we were going to move here. Fast forward three years, and now I'm sitting in Emily's office in the new beautiful school building, and <laughs> that kind of catches you up to where I'm at. Wow. Moms are great, aren't they? Most of the time. Most of the time. I, there's a lot of times I'll call my mom and, Mom, tell me what to do. I mean, between 12, age 12 and 18, I don't think Mom was great. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the town you lived in in Virginia, how big was that? Um, so I lived in Ham- Newport News, Virginia, um, it's spelled Newsport, but out there it's Newport. It, it was part of Virginia Beach, so it was like, in, which was part of 10 other towns. And so it was a, it was a city. Mm-hmm. It was, um, there was a military base, uh, I say military, there was an Air Force, a Navy, an Army, um, something else. Um, so it was a really diverse community. It was um, a really great place to live. Uh, I would have my staff meetings on the beach. Like we would pile, we our call center was about half a mile from the beach. So every Tuesday afternoon, everybody would pile in my jeep, and we would drive to the beach, and we'd sit at a picnic table and have our staff meeting. Rough life. It was kind of amazing. Some of the best stuff happened there because we were out of the, like we were able to think different. Mm-hmm. But no, that it was a city. So a big um, city. Rocky Mount was about twenty thousand. It's probably about the size of Norfolk. But we were right next to Raleigh Durham, so we, mm-hmm. we I, I spent a lot of time in Raleigh Durham. Brian and I, that's where we'd go on our Friday night dates. Um, and then Houston, the fourth largest city in America. So, what are what are some of the major differences that you see between living here, literally next to a cornfield, and versus living in the middle of a city? I guess, what are some things that you like, dislike? What are some things you miss so, or don't miss? I think the thing I missed the most until recently was good coffee. Um, plug for River Mill Coffee in Neely, Nebraska. River Mill. Um, until that opened, there wasn't a good coffee shop around. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest one was 40 miles. Um, this one's only 15 miles for me, 20 miles maybe. Uh, I spent a lot of time there. Probably too much money. Um <laughs> Me too, Mike. It's okay. <laughs> uh, sometimes I miss... The, the things I miss are convenience things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 24-hour gas stations, uh, 24-hour grocery stores. 
Uh, we used to live um, about a half a mile from our grocery store. So when Brian got home from work at night, we'd walk the dog. Mm-hmm. And we'd stop at the grocery store and pick up whatever fresh produce and fresh ingredients we wanted to cook that night. And then go home. Now we live here and I have a freezer full of goods because I can't get to the store every single day. Is your store open on Sundays? Um, our grocery, there is a grocery store. So I live in the middle of three towns Mm -hmm. and one of them is open till noon on Sundays. The town I live in, it's not open on Sunday. And so we have to, we either have to think really hard on Saturday or drive to the next town because that one is open on Sunday. Um, people are probably going to hate me when I say this, but, um, we throw away so much thawed meat. I shouldn't say so much. Like, every couple weeks we'll throw away a couple pounds of something because we take it out of the freezer because it has to be stored and frozen. Mm -hmm. You can't just run to the store at 7 o'clock at night and grab it, right? Yeah. And then, like, life will happen. We'll go out to eat a couple times, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, what's that smell in the fridge? Um, Yeah. So since you've moved back, um, what are some of the things that you've done? So Brian, Brian can work from home. That's easier for him. How have you filled your time with work. So when I first moved back, uh, I was selling ads for a um, area newspaper. Um, that wasn't the best fit for me. Uh, I don't mind sales. I just don't like doing sales. Um, I think I was pretty successful. And part of it is because I don't sell you things. It's like, oh no, that's not what you want. <laughs> that will get you nothing. You want this. But, uh, and then I did some, I did economic development for a few years and, uh, now I, uh, drive bus full time for the public school, mm-hmm. probably more than full time. I do four routes now every day. That's it's a crazy. Lot. It's a lot of miles. It's a lot of time just staring at the road in front of you. <laughs> so obviously you wouldn't drive bus like in the summer cause there's no school happening. How do you fill your time in the summer then? Um, in the summer, else? I sleep in a lot. Oh. I love sleeping in. I, the I kids asked me what, what the best thing about Christmas break was going to be, and I was like, I get to sleep till noon. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I do photography on the side. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate enough that I get to kind of pick my clients. Um, I don't say that in like a snotty way or anything. It's just it's not my full-time job. Mm-hmm. If it's not something that fits into my schedule, if it's not... Um, I, I have a couple good friends that I, I, uh, refer them to, I guess. Yeah. I, as, as we sit here in my office, I'm looking at the wall behind you and there's four just gorgeous prints that I've gotten from you. And I've got some cow prints up on my, uh, bookshelf over here. Do you get a lot of, um, sales on your photography? I guess I know you have a website, so I have a website. Uh, what is it? Gallery.michaeltower.com, I think is what it is. I think so. I had a few sales off that here and there. Um, not, I mean, clearly if I was living off that, it would be starving artists. <laughs> uh, the majority of my photography income comes from senior pictures and family mm-hmm. pictures, mm-hmm. Um, which I, I really like doing, and it, it's a ton of fun. And, and someday maybe that'll be my job. Awesome. How did you land in photography? How did you, did you do any classes, any training? How did you get to where you are with photography? Uh, in high school, I did a lot of photography. Um, my senior year in art class, the teacher was um, pretty loose with her curriculum. 
and we had to do X, Y, and Z things, right? You had to do this a painting thing, you had to do some pottery thing. But she let you spend the most of your time on your medium of choice. And we had a dark room in our art room. So I spent most of my senior year. In orchard? Yep, in orchard. Uh, I spent most of my senior year in a dark room and um, watching this white piece of paper dumped in some water, chemicals in water, and just an image magically appears and it's it's literally magic and I remember that and I think about that when I take photos is is my time in the dark room and someday I'm going to have a dark room in my basement. Um, but anyway, so I <laughs> I uh, spent a lot of time my senior year in the dark room. Uh, my study hall was actually right after my art class so I wouldn't even go to my study hall, I would just stay in the dark room. So I spent two hours every day just crafting my art. Hmm. Um, won a bunch of awards in high school at the art shows and That's stuff. That's awesome. Uh, then life happened, and somewhere along the line I went to, to school for commercial photography. And another funny story is uh, the classes that I'm missing from my commercial photography degree are digital photography. And that's <laughs> because, your choice now. Because back then I'm like... It, it's a fad. Nobody will ever buy a digital <laughs> camera. Those things don't take good pictures. <laughs> we all have one in our pocket now. Right. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I've just, I've done photography as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. The long answer to your short question. No, that works. So along with working, photography, life in general, um, I know you do some community work like the New Moon Theater and um, help me out. Um, we're the, we're launching Summerlin Investments, um, which is a housing driven organization. Um, one of the, the biggest factors to growth in rural communities is the lack of housing. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian and I looked for almost five years before we found our quote unquote vacation home. That's insane. One of the problems that we found was either there was no internet connection or no cell connection. Um, and knowing that we would be working when we, we came up here for any extended amount of time, we had to have that. Mm-hmm. In town, there was nothing. Um, houses that do come available in town are usually old houses that haven't been kept after. So we're working on getting an investment club together where um, our members pay a, uh, uh, make a small investment every single month, and that investment will then pay a banknote for a construction loan. And we will build a house and we'll sell a house and then we'll take all that money and we'll pay off the first construction loan and we'll take out a second construction loan and just keep rolling houses as fast as we can. As, uh, and there's a need for them. There's, there's a market mm-hmm. for them. And I, I think that there's definite need for housing. I don't know that there's a lot of people who live in the old houses, young mm-hmm. people who live in these old houses that wouldn't jump at the chance to buy a brand new house. I know Eric and I have that problem. Uh, living where we do, we live in a rental, and we've been there almost 10 years because there's nothing available. And what is available, we look at it and go, ooh, that wiring needs to be updated. Ooh, the plumbing needs to be updated. None of this is to code. So are we going to shell out that much more money to get the house up to code, or do we bide our time until something newer comes available? Well, and those houses that you're looking at are at market value. Like, they're mm-hmm. they're not inexpensive houses. Yeah. And then you have to turn around and put all that money into it. So if you're going to if you're going to take your your mortgage from we'll say a thousand dollars a month to twelve hundred because you're having to take out all this extra construction money, why not just do twelve hundred or fifteen hundred up front and get a brand new house? 
that you yeah. don't have to worry about anything. But so, so housing is a super big passion of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, rural broadband is a super big passion. I've probably talked about this a hundred times. I think at least once on every podcast I've um, listened to, and I've listened to them all. I try to make sure I <laughs> drop that that is a problem. Um, people ask me why I still talk about that, why, why I'm so passionate about it. They're like, you have good internet at your house. I'm like, but do you? But does everybody? No. Um, and and uh, we were talking before the show, you know, things that are important to me now at, at in my 40s versus in my 20s or my 30s is a little bit of people having access to the same things and, and um, kind of leveling the playing field for everybody so that, that people can excel. Well, and I know, um, so when COVID hit and all of the education went online, we had students um, that didn't have internet at home. And one of the discussions was, you know, this family doesn't have internet. Can we get them a temporary internet router or pay for their internet temporary so their kids can do online work because they couldn't be in school and I know the library in Orchard and um, outside the school the, the kids would just pull up with their parents and sit in the car and do the school work because they could connect to the internet there. Well and, and a lot of that isn't necessarily not being able to afford the internet like like we could just send something home with them and magically have it. it it's there it's not a possibility at their house. Right. On my bus route, there are dead spots in my cell phone. There are miles where I don't have a cell phone signal. Mm-hmm. It is 2022. Like, there's no reason that there should be dead spots. There's no reason that anybody shouldn't have access to mm-hmm. high-speed quality internet. What else do I do? Because um, I, <laughs> I could go about the internet for days. I, so so could I. <laughs> uh, the New Moon Theater is mm-hmm. uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, How's that going? It is um, a theater project that we're working on. It's on Neely, Nebraska. It is the only movie theater in 40 miles in any direction. Yep. So getting that up and going is going to be amazing. Um, We're currently fundraising. The piece that that we're looking at doing next is hiring a a design firm to come in and say, you can take this wall out. Um, leave this wall or you're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. If you move the bathrooms over here, it'd be more functional. You know, somebody to come in and and tell us what we need to do or give us some ideas, some possibilities, along with some dollar amounts. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had a couple donors come to us and say, how much money do you guys think you need? And we just kind of look at them like, meh, some. I don't know, yeah. Um, Because that's an old building. The building was originally built in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. and then in the 40s, it burnt down along with the pharmacy next door to it. Is that Wannix? think is the story, yeah. And then it was rebuilt, and it was built during wartime, so they had to get all kinds of government clearance and stuff to take and put money into this, and um, there's, there's a movie-based magazine from that era that did a huge article on the new moon and how it was um, one of the best theaters in the nation and one of the first ones to have a slanted floor and wow um, and you know it seats over 300 people like it is an amazing venue and in my head I see um, not just movies there but I see like teachers conferences Mm -hmm. I see motivational speakers in there I see weddings happening on that stage community theater maybe community theater some musical school Mm -hmm. productions because it's just an amazing facility I know Uh, already and and we haven't put any money into it (laughs) 
I know when I moved um, to this area, I'm originally from North Platte, and so when I met my husband at Wayne State, he's from Neely, <clears throat> so we kind of settled in this area, and it was still open in our first year or so of marriage, and we would go, they had a, like at the front of the store was kind of a video rental, and so we would go rent a video for the weekend and take it home, and now that's not even... Yeah, they, they closed all that. So originally, originally when you walked into the movie theater, it was kind of a, a bottleneck. And mm -hmm. the side where the movie rental was, and then there's an apartment, those were originally separate businesses. And their rent helped pay to keep the movie theater open. Oh, I never realized that. Um, we, when we were cleaning out the, the old apartment side one, um, we found... Some stuff from an old hair salon that was in there. There was, a, I think, I want to say there was a florist, maybe. Huh. Um, but we found some old neat signs, and, and we took them over to the museum and, and let them do what they wanted mm -hmm. with them. And, um, but it, it's such a beautiful piece of architecture. It is one of the things that will help our rural communities in this area because... New people coming to an area, especially an area you're not familiar with, you, you need places, right? Um, the, the economic development catchphrase is placemaking, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have a coffee shop for people to go sit in and, and chat. You have to have a movie theater. You need to have walkable spaces, city parks, swimming pools, things like that. Mm -hmm. Our communities around here all do very good at one of those. So if we can toss in a couple other things in each community and then a movie, a centrally located movie theater such as this, it, it would just be so big for our communities. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a good segue into how do we get more young people to move in? One of the issues that Eric and I have seen in Elgin, there's a lot of very nice houses, kind of going back to housing but no one is moving out. It's such a nice little town, no one's leaving. Okay, build houses, but when houses do come available, how do we get those young, energetic people into our communities? So th there's a few things that I see that, and, and that I've learned over the, the last couple years that need to happen to make a community um, a desirable community. You know, first you need to have housing. On top of housing, high-speed, reliable internet. That's a that's a huge one, um, especially when in in their recent history is a pandemic that that shut everything down. Everybody worked from home. Everybody went to school. That is on people's minds when they're looking at a place to live. You have to have available houses. You have to have high-speed internet. You have to have things for people to do. Good faith-based communities. You have to have mm -hmm. good churches and. One of the things that I think is the most important that almost every community around here lacks is more young people being involved. You get the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings involved, and they start planning events that 20-somethings and 30-somethings want to go to. Mm -hmm. You get us old people, and we're planning bridge parties and... <laughs> You're not uh, that old, Mike. Yard polo and, you know, like, uh, we're doing old people things. So if you want young families to move into your area, you've got to get the young people involved. 
And I've been on the recruiting end of a couple boards and trying to get a young person to come sit on a board meets once a month for an hour. Mm-hmm. That is like pulling teeth. So then the young people are like, well, there's no young families for my kids to hang out with, so I need to move somewhere with young families. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want young families, you need to help create a place where young families want to be. And I know everybody's busy. Everybody's super busy. I can use my dad as an example, right? Um, he was a teacher, which you know full well is a, a full time and a half job. Um, he ran a business in the summers. He was a coach. He coached, I think, every season. Basketball, volleyball, golf. But he was on the, the board that helped build the golf course. He was um, on city council for a long time. He was, which funny story, he was a write-in by Larry Maris. Larry Maris <laughs> launched a we need somebody let's all write in bill campaign that's and hilarious. that's how dad got on city council he never no, ran knowing these people that <laughs> is funny <laughs> uh, but you know so he was super involved and in, in, he was on the board that started the golf course in the 80s until I moved back or I'm sorry late 90s sorry late 90s they started the golf course and he was on that board until I moved back and took his seat so I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Have you come into some negative reactions since you've moved back? How, you know, how have people reacted to... Because we we are small town Nebraska. One of the things when we were looking for a place was my stipulation is that it couldn't be in town. It could be town adjacent, like on the edge of town, mm-hmm. outside a little bit. But I didn't want to be the shiny new gay couple in town. Um, Brian is half Latinx. So I didn't want to be the shiny new couple in town. Like, the people, like, just wanted it. Little did I know that even where we, even not living in town, everywhere we go, we were the shiny new people. Hmm. For the most part, everybody's been super supportive and super nice. Mm -hmm. Um, They're the people who make the conscious decision not to acknowledge that I'm married um they'll call Brian my partner or my friend and then I'll refer to him again as my husband and they'll continue to refer to him as my partner or my friend I correct them once or twice and then just choose not to talk to them anymore um (laughs) uh I've seen I've seen homophobia I've seen um the pretty shitty side of some people. Um, and it hasn't necessarily been directed at me. But I see it in their actions and their words and their... And that's a little terrifying. Because there's only a handful of out people that live around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't woke up with a burning cross yet, so knock wood. Well, there's, there's a plus. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, we haven't found a church around here. There isn't the the none of the organized religious facilities have progressed enough. Um, it will come. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should just go to a church and we should be the trendsetters and the trailblazers. Um, but also, that's exhausting. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so. I don't know. We, we kind of just stick to our people and the people who know us and the, mm-hmm. the people who we consider family. That's awesome. So um, y- you consider 
you know, the people that you're with, family. What is it like coming back and living kind of right, right near your family after being away for so many years? Yeah, that was one of the things that I was kind of worried about, actually, was um, being so close to family. Uh, but it's been great. Um, my brother and I um, are a lot closer than we've been in a hundred years. I love your brother. Uh, he's a little <laughs> batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> no, he actually helped Brian and I with the remodel. Um, his wife is one of my best friends in the entire world. Mm-hmm. She was my friend long before she was my sister-in-law. Uh, being being here with mom and dad is, as they're entering their golden years is that the nice way to say they're old yeah that's the nice way to say it um as they get older is neat um uh, one of my sisters as i was moving back moved to tennessee (laughs) um my dad went out there this summer and needed a ride home so i drove to memphis and picked him up and we spent 15 hours in the car ride back and I learned so much more about my dad in, in those 15 hours than I did in the previous 40 years. Really? And that's an experience I wouldn't have had if I wouldn't have moved home. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's amazing things like that. We, we, up until COVID, had family dinner every single Saturday night. Um, my entire family, my nieces, my nephews, my brothers, my sisters, my mom and dad would all come out to our tiny little house. And we would pack 16 to 20 people in our living room, dining room, and eat dinner and then play games. And the kids would watch movies or go outside and build a fire. Or that sounds really bad. They would build a fire in the fire pit. Um, They wouldn't just randomly light things on fire. Um, Uh, With your nieces and nephews, I can see it. That could go both ways, Mike. (laughs) Could go both ways. Um, You know, so it's been a blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Somebody asked me, they're like, so are you going to live here forever? And I'm like, I don't know. Never say never. If you would have asked me five years ago, let's see, I, we've lived here a little over three years. So if you would have asked me three years and a month ago, um, if I'd be living here working for the public school, um, I would have laughed at you <laughs> and I would have told you how crazy you were. And because it all happened super fast and we didn't give much thought to it and we just did it. Um, and I always said I'd never live here. So it's crazy. Yeah. So when you moved, you you bought an old farmhouse and you've since done a lot of work to it. Uh, yeah, so we bought a 1918 farmhouse. Wow. And it was really neat because we went, when I, we were working on it, uh, I went and spent an afternoon down with the county clerk mm-hmm. and we went back through all the record books and um, I have photos of, of the, the, the records, but... Um, we traced all the way back to where the land was given to um, the original family in, like, 1892, I think it was. Wow. Um, and then the record of, of the, the barn that he built to live in while the house was being built because you had to live on the property to get it. Um, like, there's, you know, you had to make an A improvement. A lot of times they've changed. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we bought the, the 1918 farmhouse in 2018. Um. We tore it down to studs. We didn't change much of the floor plan. Uh, we, oh, that's kind of a lie. We reconfigured the floor plan a little bit, but it's the original structure. Mm-hmm. Um, we turned a bedroom upstairs into a bathroom, so there was a bathroom on that level. Uh, we knocked out a closet to make two of the bedrooms into one big room. 
Um, but for the most part, it's the original structure, um, the original two by fours. And what year, I guess three years ago, that was kind of before COVID, um, did you find it hard to get materials living in such a remote and rural area versus living in a bigger You know, that's actually a really good question. Um, that, that is one of the things that I was concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is some things we had to wait a day or two for because they had to order them in. But for the most part, we called down and said, hey, we're coming in to get 20 sheets of plywood, and they'd have 20 sheets of plywood ready waiting for us. Um, when we ordered our sheetrock, the day it came in, they drove it out to the house and unloaded it all into our garage for us, uh, which I don't think happens in a big town. I don't think so either. Um, <laughs> we actually had to go down two miles down the road to borrow a farmer's tractor. Um the guy who delivered it's like, oh, you don't have a tractor? And we're like, no, we're city boys. We don't have a tractor. <laughs> so he got on his phone and he called Glenn. And he's like, hey, Glenn, can I borrow your tractor? And Glenn's like, yeah, the keys are such and such and such. And so <laughs> ran down and stole Glenn's tractor. And um, But no, we didn't really run into anything. Um, and we had to have a few things special ordered because of the age of the house. Um, like we wanted to keep the five panel doors. Um, there was a few doors that weren't usable. Um, so we had to special order those doors to match. Um, our kitchen cabinetry is all custom. Um, that kind of stuff. Our, mm-hmm. our butcher block countertop, that took a while to come in. But that was just normal, yeah. take a while stuff. I don't think any of that had anything to do where where we live. Yeah. Um, what is your most enjoyable part of living where you do? Because you're not, I mean, you're not in a town. You're... <laughs> off the beaten path a little bit. So what's what's the best part of living? Like, why did you guys choose to live where you do? Part of why we chose to live in the location we live in is because that was the house that was available. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> as is a lot of people's story around here, which let's digress back to housing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so we saw the house. It wasn't a house that we would ever consider buying. Like, in my wildest dreams, I would not have... have thought we were going to buy this house. Mm-hmm. Um, it needed new siding. It needed new floors. It needed work. Um, the people who were living there were doing the work. Um, we were fortunate, and, and we bought our house in Houston at the right time, and we sold it at the right time so we could do the work a little faster. Mm-hmm. But it was on three acres of land, which is just the right amount. There's a big outbuilding which will eventually house a photography studio for me and a wood workshop for Brian and maybe be able to park a car in. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then there was this tree. Like, there was this amazing tree, which sadly, this weekend, got cut down. It died. Oh, no. Um, um, but, you know, we, we picked where we lived because it was available, right? Mm-hmm. Um what I love about where we live is I don't have to call one community home. Um, I get to call three communities home. Um, we live right by the school, which is a consolidated school of three communities. And we live in the middle of it. So when we go to wing night on Wednesdays, we're with our Clearwater family, our Clearwater home. When we go to DW's for, for dinner or our post office, which is in Ewing, 
those are our family. Those are our home. When we go to Orchard, where my family lives, home is wherever we're at in these three towns. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're, like we live in a, in a in a community, not just a town. If that makes sense. I I can relate to that so much. Um, I live in Elgin, which is in southern Antelope County. I teach in this consolidated district, which is Clearwater Orchard Ewing. I go to church and I do a lot of um, my husband's family's from Neely. So when people ask me, oh, well, where are you from? A lot of times they go, well, Antelope County, because <laughs> it all of it is home to me. It's like the Orange County of Nebraska. It is. It's Antelope County. It's Antelope. Duh, don't you know? Right. <laughs> but I, I, I can totally, I can see that and I can relate to that, Mike, because I do the same thing. I can shop in any of those towns. I can go to the post office to send a package in any of those towns. I can go... We have a 15-year-old son, and we tell him, kiddo, you can't go anywhere in the county without someone knowing mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, or your uncles, because they were big into sports and wrestling and football. And um, and expand that out. My husband's dad does a lot of part ordering and parts things for John Deere, which is now Acres. I was in North Platte one summer and I, I said, oh, my name's Emily Hydoff. I was already married. And they go, Hydoff? Well, would you know Terry Hydoff from Neely? And I said, stop, because you can't go anywhere without somebody knowing Terry Hydoff. So, I have that <laughs> same thing with my dad. Yeah. Because my dad's been a coach for 100 years. 100, and exactly. Actually, you want to know, fun fact, he's 72, which means 50 years. That's a lot of years. Um, golden golden age. Does he listen to this? Sometimes. Oh. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so I go, I was actually talking to Mr. Finky, our new superintendent, and he's like, Tabbert, how do I know that name? I'm like, well, were you ever a coach? He goes, well, I refereed basketball. I was like, oh, you know my dad, Bill. And he's like, oh, Bill Tabbert. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, so I feel you, I feel you. Yeah. Um, it really is amazing to live in a, a community. And when I say community, I mean the whole county like this because everybody I mean anywhere you go you're going to know someone or they're going to know someone who knows you or they're you know it could go on and on and on but and you know when I moved away that was one of the things that I absolutely hated um when you are a troublemaker in your teens and up to no good in your 20s um I wonder who that could be Mike that's not a fun place to live right (laughs) um but I think about you know the young families who can let their kids play on play in the front yard and ride their bikes to the swimming pool mm-hmm. or uh you know they want they need to ride to school so the neighbor just grabs them and takes them to school like that doesn't happen in no. the city that doesn't it's that's terrifying to think about yeah. in the city so i have i have two stories um we obviously small town um my parents live in omaha and my daughter is so used to playing in the yard, and if the ball goes in the street, well, you just run out on the street and get it because there's no cars coming. <laughs> well, we were playing in the yard at my mom's house in Omaha, and the ball went in the street. Robin, no! And I'm screaming at my child. She doesn't understand it because we live in such a small, safe, little, teeny, tiny hamlet of a town that it is that if the ball goes in the street, you just, you go get it. And so lately I've been okay, look for cars, and she'll look, and she goes, there's no cars, Mom. I know there's never any cars. I get that. (laughs) Um, And story number two, 
uh, teaching in Orchard, I would drive every day and we had a couple really, really, really cold days. Like the windshield was negative 24. I remember that from one day. Moved in Nebraska. It's not for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there was a student who lived three blocks away from school, right across the highway. And he would walk three blocks every day. And on this, there's been more than one time that this has happened. But this day in particular, I turned the corner to drive north to the school. And here I see the student walking. And I just pulled over and I said, get in the car. And he just gets right in. And I drove him, you know, the two and a half blocks that were left of his walk. And he's just shivering and goes, thanks, Mrs. Hi, hide off. And now this kid's been my teacher, my TA, my teacher's assistant for the last two years. And I just told that story the other day, but I looked at him, I said, how many times did I pick you up on cold days? Well, that doesn't happen in a big town. I wouldn't even think about pulling over and picking up a student in a big town, but where we live, I'm going, oh, it's fine. I know his mom. I I can just text his mom and it'd be, hey, I picked up your kid. She'd be like, okay, cool. Thanks. So I I always laugh when I was in elementary and probably high school too, is I could tell you everybody in my class and probably the class below me and above me, I could give you their home phone numbers. I could give you their birthdays. I could give you, like, most of the, the phone book was memorized. Like, you're like, oh, I need to talk to so-and-so. And you just rattle off the last four digits of their phone number. Yeah. Because you just knew everybody and all that stuff. And and now it is, you know, maybe a little bit different. You, you have to text them or go knock mm-hmm. on their door or call their kid that you know or because it's not just a phone book anymore but it's so much the same thing Mm -hmm. one of my biggest like I I vividly remember the first time I had I'd grown up North Platte and that's a good 25,000 people I graduated with just under 300 kids I was at graduation watching this kid walk across the stage going they're in our class I have never even heard their name before that's how big North Platte is and I went to Wayne State and my first roommate as a freshman was a girl that went to St. Mary's in O'Neill. And she had this picture of 12 kids on her desk. And I went, oh, are those your friends from school? She goes, well, that's my class. And I was like, what do you mean your class? She goes, like, that was our graduating class. We had 12 kids in our class. And I went, what? And I was just, I was floored. And ever since that moment, my perception of rural living and, and rural life changed completely because I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know anything. I don't know. And, and now, you know, I, I married my husband and he uh, w- his folks live on a farm and they butcher their own meat. And so we we butcher it twice a year. We do our own pigs. We do our own beef. We do we I don't remember the last time I bought eggs in a store because I just get them from the chicken's butts. Like it's just. <laughs> My husband and I were talking the other day about meat prices, and I'm like, I'm so out of touch. If I went and bought hamburger right now, I wouldn't know if it's a good price or not because we butcher our own. And I never, never in a million years growing up in North Platte thought that I would live this life that I do, and I'm so happy that I do. It's. I often say that I'm so much more busy than I was when I lived in the city. Yes. But I'm the things that I am busy with our choices. Mm-hmm. Like I choose to sit on this board or I choose to do X, Y, or Z, or mm-hmm. I choose. Um, whereas in the city, you didn't really choose to sit in traffic for two hours a day. No. You know, you didn't choose to, 
I don't remember the last time I had to stand in line at a grocery store. Like, I don't know the last time I... Maybe, I'm trying to think of that, Maybe one person checking out while I'm standing there, but, like, more than that, I don't remember. But half the time, I'm talking to the person next to me, so I don't even realize. Right. Huh. Whereas when you go, even when you go to Norfolk or you're, you know, you're at Walmart or Target or Hy-Vee or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're standing in line, you're just standing in line looking at your phone, you're like, mm-hmm. Emily, this has been amazing. I um, love answering questions. I love talking about myself, I think. Thanks for coming on your own podcast, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been fun. Thanks for doing this. And yes. we will have to do this again. Uh, this was so much fun. All righty. I love it. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of World is Cool. There are many more great conversations to come. Hitting the subscribe or follow button will help make sure you don't miss any. If there's someone you think I should talk to, send me an email at worldiscoolpod at gmail.com. I truly enjoy meeting rural people and helping tell their stories. This episode was produced by Brian Ferris. The artwork is by Casey Schott. Do me a favor and be sure to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Until next time, remember, rural is cool.